Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 232 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I am just delighted to introduce you to Carrie, Luella's mom. After the death of their daughter, Luella, Carrie and her husband went to Faith's Lodge in northern Wisconsin. I know Faith's Lodge is just an amazing organization that is a wonderful resource to parents. And in fact, I know many parents who have been there. But Carrie and her husband were inspired to start one of their own, which is called Luella's Lodge. This is in Illinois near Champaign. They are still really in their early stages and are just starting their third season. And I am excited that we are thinking about having a combined Always Andy's Mom retreat with Luella's Lodge at their lodge. And I think this will be an awesome opportunity for some of our listeners to get to know each other a little bit. I know that a big goal of mine for 2024 is to help create more of an Always Andy's Mom community. And I really think that doing that in the way of a retreat would be a great thing. It's something I've always wanted to do, but I just know that I do not have the time to be able to put together something myself here in Michigan. So... Luella's Lodge is only about four and a half hours from me, and we thought that this might be a great chance for us to collaborate for all of you. So we're still working on the dates, but if this is something you think you might be interested in, Luella's Lodge is located about an hour and a half west of Indianapolis. So maybe email me, marcy at andysmom.com, and tell me if you think you might be interested in doing something like that. Either a mom's retreat or perhaps a couple's retreat. We haven't quite decided which one we're going to do, and we're looking at some different dates. So if you have interest, let me know, because the retreat will be capped at 10 people. So this is just all to give you something to think about as you listen to Carrie talk about Luella and Luella's Lodge and all that they do there. So right now, just sit back and enjoy listening to Carrie, Luella's mom. Thank you so much, Carrie, for agreeing to join me on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yes, I am really looking forward to hearing more about Luella, because it was somebody who you know, who knows me, who referred us. So I don't know a lot about your story, just what I've looked at on your website. So it'll be nice to be able to kind of learn together with my audience a little bit about Luella. Yeah, cool. Yes, I was excited. Um, It was a mom that attended a retreat that recommended Uh your podcast and Um, introduced us. So that was cool. Yeah, it was. It was really cool the way we were introduced. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about Luella? 
Sure. So Luella is our firstborn. Okay. It's interesting because my husband and I were unsure that we wanted to have kids up until we decided yes for her. And then we fell in love with being parents and... And had two more, right? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, looking back on my pregnancy with Luella, I think that was one of my favorite times in my life. Really? It was just an excuse to like really slow down and take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I loved how I felt. I felt super connected to her. It was just, it was one of the best times in my life. She was born April 4th of 2017. Okay. And, you know, we fell in love with her and uh, she was amazing. And as she got older, you know, people noted how much she seemed like an old soul. Uh Uh-huh. Which I think sometimes maybe is typical of firstborns, like just really sensitive and kind of seems like they know more than they should at that age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she was really special. She loved being outside. We lived on a private 10 acres kind of out in the woods we would just let her lead us on nature walks and she'd go around, she'd walk to the neighbors and check out the cows. And she was just a sweet little adventurer. And she got to become a big sister Mm -hmm. when she was 15 months old. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I told you we fell in love with being parents. She was so amazing. We're like, let's Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Which, you know, looking back, it's interesting. I'm like, why, you know, why did we feel that draw to want to have another child so soon? You know, maybe it was that opportunity to to let her be a big sister. And also, you know, I think her little brother carried us through a lot, which is a lot for little shoulders to handle. But yeah, she was just, she was amazing. And she, I always say she had a really small circle. Like she, it took a while for her to trust new people. Oh, okay. But when you were in her circle, she was obsessed. Like she, you couldn't walk away, leave a room without her like melting down into tears. So she, she was choosy about who she gave her love to, but when she chose you, it was, she was all in. So that was, that was really special to be, of course, one of the ones that she, she gave all that love to. I totally get that because I, you know, I'm a pediatrician and so I see kids all the time and gosh, that like 18 month range or so, 15, 18 month, I mean, so often they like, they don't trust me as far as they can throw me and of course they can't (laughs) throw me. So it, it takes some really hard work to get some of those kids to warm up to me. Yes. And a little bit older one yesterday, he was like, just screaming that uh, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. Like going crazy. He's like two. And and I walk in. I thought, this is not going to go well. And then we bonded over his Batman PJs that I told him were awesome. <laughs> and he was kind of feeling like, hey, if she thinks my Batman PJs are cool, maybe she's kind of cool. And And by the end, we're like, fast friends totally fine so it's it's funny how kids are though but yeah but that description is like oh I see that I see that all the time that distrust but then once you get them you get them yes Mm -hmm. yeah once you're in their pocket of close people that they love yeah so she was she was just like that she took on the role of being big sister really well she uh-huh. She obviously she was, you know, 15, 16 months old when Lachlan was born. And so she 
didn't know how to read, but she would fake read board books to him, <laughs> which was the sweetest thing. She'd, you know, jibber jabber, turn the page, jibber jabber. She'd always make sure he had a blanket on him. So she was very, very nurturing and very loving. She also loved Elmo okay. was, you know, one of her obsessions as well. I always mention because it's so rare and funny, but some of her favorite foods were tofu, mushrooms, and avocado. <laughs> she was the tofu <laughs> baby. I, just something she loved. And somebody called her a, a total hipster because it was like at least one avocado a day. Like she was apparently hipster level <laughs> with, with that. I would say that diet might put you at hipster level. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And she loved, she loved to, she called it draw, which essentially was just coloring. And it also essentially was, she'd invite you to draw with her. And before you knew it, you'd be, you know, coloring in her coloring book and she'd swipe every crayon that you'd try to have. And she'd just have these fistfuls of crayons and at that point, not even be coloring anymore. So <laughs> that was sweet. I remember taking her to like a library story hour and she was everybody that walked by, you want to draw, you want to draw. And I wanted to be like, well, this is an invitation, but she will swipe all of your, all of your hands once you start. Yeah. She loved nature. She, um, like I mentioned, she loved going on nature walk. She could find a beat to anything. So any type of noise or sound, she could dance to it. Like even the sound of the dryer or the washer. Okay. Next thing she'd be dancing to it. Like it was some hip song was on the radio. (laughs) So she could make music out of anything. She loved playing the harmonica, drumming. And yeah, she was just, she was just the sweetest thing. She was the sweetest thing. Love that. Love that. Oh, so do you want to go into now a little bit of what happened to Luella? Sure. Yeah. So Luella started having a cough on Sunday, September 9th of 2018. And, you know, it just was something where it was like, oh, let's keep monitoring or it wasn't anything, you know, too intense. Kind of by that night, you could tell she was feeling a little bit more puny and not feeling well. So we kept kept an eye on her. And then overnight, it seemed like it worsened and she was having some labored breathing. So I took her into the emergency department and they said, you know, we think it's croup and gave her a steroid and sent us back home and just said, keep monitoring her. And if she gets worse, you know, bring her back in. So took her back home and Monday, she seemed like maybe she was improving just a little bit in the early parts of the day. And then as the night progressed, she, she seemed to be getting worse. So my husband and I were kind of just tag teaming, keeping an eye on her. And then when it was my turn, I was like, you know, she's just her, her breathing's really labored. So I decided to take her back in and they assessed her and decided to admit her. So we got admitted to pediatrics and they kind of, the nurse immediately was like, I, I think she should probably be up in ICU. So we got, got kicked up to ICU. It was kind of still the same thought that, you know, it's crew. She was getting NEV treatments and just being monitored at that point. So we were in the ICU for most of what well, it was Tuesday at that point, September 11th. And, you know, it was, just a lot of like reassurance from the nurse and the doctors, like mm-hmm. kids are resilient, you know, she might get a little bit worse, but she'll get better. And, you know, even though our kind of instincts were going off, like this seems like it's getting worse. Like, why isn't she getting any better? 
it was just kind of met with that every time, every time we were like, this just doesn't feel right. Something's going on. It was, you know, we're monitoring her. She's, she's, you know, kids are resilient. She's going to be fine. And then that evening they decided they wanted to intubate her. So just to kind of put her out so they could do some more tests and figure out what was going on because it, it seemed like it was more than they had originally thought that was unsuccessful. And so we had been sent out of the room for the first time when they did that. And immediately somebody came and got us and said, you know, it wasn't successful. By the time we got back into the room, they were resuscitating her and she passed away. You know, everybody was shocked. The doctor was shocked because up until that point, it was, you know, she's fine. She's fine. And since he was so shocked, he decided to order an autopsy because they didn't know what had happened. Yeah. So we were, you know, we were sent back home. And in the meantime, Lachlan, our our newborn son was also having some of those same symptoms. So the day after Luella passed away, I took him to the doctor and just said, you know, we don't know what happened, but his sister passed away last night. So, you know, inside of your grief, as you're still not even sure what the heck happened or how it could have happened, trying to take care of your son and, yeah, yeah, you know, make sure the same thing doesn't happen to him. We had a lot of family and friends coming over and just helping us through that, you know, monitoring, monitoring Lachlan and then just providing some support for us. Although it's hard, it's, it's hard to describe the aftermath, right? Like it's just, it's just, it's like, you're just in this weird fog where it's like, this can't be my reality at this point. That's what I was thinking. You would have been in such shock and just utter disbelief. Right. There's no way you could be even put your, wrap your head around what was happening at that point. Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's like we had a, you know, a little bit more time as I meet other parents when it is so sudden, you know, similar, you know, with Andy, it's like no time to prepare. I mean, we didn't really have time to prepare. We were in the hospital, but we were thinking we were going to be, you know, sent home the next day. And so for that to happen, it's just like, what the heck, what, what's going on? So we ended up getting the autopsy results. And that was, I think, three months after she passed away in, yes, it was in December and it came back as bacterial pneumonia that didn't get caught and didn't get diagnosed and treated. During that time too, we also found out that the cause of death that was written by the doctor, because they have to collect a cause of death at the time he had put parent negligence. What? In his mind, yeah, in his mind he had, which, you know, looking back, I think he was just trying to cover himself for making some errors. And so he, that was his cause of death, which is for us is just sickening that it's even written down anywhere, that that's why she passed away. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Because she went, I mean, she started getting sick. Which day of the weeks did you say? On Sunday. And then two days later, she had passed away despite us taking her in, you know. Because you brought her in Sunday Mm -hmm. and that's when she got the steroid. Mm -hmm. And then she seemed sort of better Monday. And then Monday night, you brought her back. Yeah. 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 There's Monday no negligence night. there at all. I mean, right. Was, and after talking to the coroner, you know, he was like, I even said, are you sure that's what you want me writing down as the cause of death? Like, there could be about a million other things with with what happened aside from writing parent negligence. So it was just, it was just sickening. It was like, not only did did this happen so quickly and you don't even know what the heck just happened, but 
later you find out that the doctor wrote in a record that it was your fault, essentially. Yes. So there was just, you know, of course, there are always so many layers to trauma like this, but that was just an additional layer of feeling like some sort of guilt was, you know, some sort of blame was placed on you for your child passing away. Like we don't do that to ourselves already, right? Right. Right. Every parent I've talked to, no matter what the cause of death, will have feelings of guilt. We all do. Whether it's founded guilt or not founded guilt. So to put that on somebody. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was tough. It's interesting that the same thing, any parent I've talked to, there's there's some level of guilt and whether it's warranted or not, or just completely outlandish, it's there. And Mm -hmm. my social work clinical there one time said, we do that because it's almost better to feel like you have some sense of control over what happened instead of completely out of control that even feeling that I've said that many times. Yeah. it's Mm -hmm. That's so much easier for us and it seems messed up, but it's easier for me to say, I'm going to feel guilty about this because that meant I had an element of control because not feeling guilt admits that I have no control over the situation. And if I had no control over that situation, that means it could happen again. Yes. Yes, exactly. So I really think that's why we do it, because it's so scary and horrible. And then now to admit we had no control, then then it can happen to my next kid. It can happen to the neighbor's kid. It can happen to anybody. Right, right. And that's and terrifying. That is very terrifying. And it, I guess, sits a little bit easier with us, like you said, to take some of that control back and say, yeah, we played a part in some way. Then Right. If I would have only done this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's, I still haven't even as many times as I've, you know, shared my story, I still don't even have the right words to try to even describe, you know, and I don't even know that I would want to, to describe how it feels, you know, right after she passed away. It's like, if you live it, you know it. And if you haven't lived it, be thankful that you don't know it, but exactly because you really don't want anyone else to know it. Right. You really don't. No, no. But on the other hand, you want them to it's it's funny because I've talked to lots of parents and and so often people will say, I can't even imagine what you're going through. And I've had a lot of moms say back, I just wish they'd try just for a second. Just try to imagine. Right. You know, I don't want you to know it, but try to imagine it, because when you say I can't even imagine it. That means like, I don't want to ever put myself in your shoes. I don't want to think about what that could be like. So I can't even imagine it. Mm -hmm. But if you try, then that means you're trying to understand me. You're trying to be there with me just for a little instant try. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a conversation stopper, right? Like, yeah, that's not opening up for me to be able to share with you. You're just saying, I can't imagine, which essentially translate to, I don't want to imagine. So please don't go there and you don't need to describe it for me. Mm -hmm. Right. You're right. It just stops the conversation just right there. Yeah. Now you can't go on with it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the devastation, your world turning upside down. I mean, they're just, it is hard to describe those I mean, always after, but especially initially right after she passed away is just like completely, it's just a world unto itself that I, it's so hard to even describe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you've lived it, you know it. Yeah. 
So you talked about how the autopsy took like three months, right? And they do. They take such a long time. You think that it's going to be so much quicker, right? Because right. goodness, on TV, it happens like all the time. It happens right. very, very fast. You get this right. cause of death and you just know. But in real life, it's it's not like that at all. So, I mean, I, living with that, just not knowing at all, must have been a big challenge too. It was. Yeah. I, like I said, it was especially right after when Lachlan was having some of the same symptoms and it's like, we don't know what just killed his sister. Yeah. And he's having the same symptoms and yeah, I mean, it is, it's hard. It's like, you want to find answers. You want to figure out what the heck happened because it just, it just feels so impossible. And I, I don't know. I mean, when we got the autopsy results, it was just kind of like, oh, okay. Like in the back of our mind, it was, we assumed that something was missed. We assumed that they weren't treating her for whatever was actually going on. But it was also at the same time we got those autopsy results. We also got that doctor's cause of death. Oh, So it was like, it was almost hard to even process the real reason that she passed away because of that just getting hit with the fact that the doctor had written that as her cause of death. But yeah, it was hard. I I think I remember going to a medium shortly after she passed away and like that being my main answer. Like, why did she, what was it? What was her cause of death? And of course I didn't get answers from that, but like, you're just searching, you're like searching for anything. Like somebody give me a reason why my daughter isn't here. But you know, even when you do get the real reason it still isn't it doesn't fix anything and it doesn't right you know give you any sort of comfort or anything it's just kind of like I guess that that is loose end is tied up (laughs) I guess is the only way to put it I know which yeah I've had my therapist tell me that every mom she's ever worked with and she works almost exclusively with bereaved moms they all want to know why they all want to know what happened Mm -hmm. they all want to know all this like like for me I lost consciousness and have about 30 minutes of memories that I do not have that I just desperately wanted to have. Even though I knew they would be horrible and I knew that my mind had blocked things out for a reason, I just like wanted to know what happened because to one minute be sitting in the car having a conversation about getting the Lord of the Rings book out of the office so he can take it to school on the first day Monday to the next minute, I'm turning and looking and there are three paramedics working, doing CPR on my son. Like that just didn't, wasn't okay in my head. I like, there yeah. were too many open holes that I wanted to fill. Yeah. And, you know, and then obviously waiting for the autopsy and things like that. Obviously we knew he died in a car accident. We didn't know exactly what happened. And mm-hmm. Eric didn't know if was there a way, was there something else I could have done to have saved him? I mean, all of that kind of stuff. And and with you too, to just be, they tried to intubate her and they couldn't and now she's gone? What? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just doesn't compute in your head. Right. Yeah. Uh, just to understand that, yeah, that permanence of like one instant, one instant and now everything has changed and there's no going back. It's just, just impossible to understand in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you then went on to have another child, right? You've got another girl. Yes. 
Yep. We have Letty. So we, we got pregnant with her a year after Luella passed away. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. A year after Luella passed away. So she's three now and Lachlan's five. So, and it's interesting because Letty is just, I, I knew that I wanted to be when we decided to have another, I knew I wanted to be in a safe space emotionally, mentally that, you know, if something happened with the pregnancy that I would be able to handle it. So we wanted to make sure we had time for me to feel healthy enough that, you know, I could handle something if something did happen, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting because she's so opposite of Luella. Really? Yeah. I'm like, I think we needed that. Like, I think, you know, cause it's, it's just a weird thing, especially when it's the same gender to have another child and maybe it's coming from the outside and maybe it's not, but almost feeling like some people are hoping you have another girl as like, almost like as a replacement, which yeah. sounds crazy. And I, it might just be your perception, but that's that thought of like, I don't want people, I don't want people to think I'm better or I'm over her yeah, because I, I have another daughter. And so, but it is, it's like Luella was our super blonde, hardly any hair, blue eyes. Letty is dark hair, dark eyes. And Letty is the one that's like, she doesn't know a stranger. She loves every single person she meets and needs to tell them everything about herself. Whereas I mentioned Luella was so private and I don't want to say shy, but just, you know, not as easy to give her love away. And Letty's just the complete opposite where, so it's just interesting. It's just interesting to have that have that difference of, you know, maybe we needed that maybe, you know, cause I mean, there are even times where I slip up, my husband slips up my, my, her grandpa, my dad and have called her Luella. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Like Luella has been gone for so long and they never, they didn't live at the same time and they don't look anything alike or really act anything alike. And there's still that sometimes that slip up. So yeah, it's, it's just interesting. So I can't imagine if you know, she looked just like her, acted very similarly to her. Mm-hmm. It would be, I think we'd probably slip up a lot more. We we still do. Do you? We still do occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. I just did the other day. Yeah. I just was talking about Peter to somebody and I said, Andy, and like, how did that even happen? I'd spent five years and it's just right? still happened. Yeah. Andy passed away was it August, 2018. Yes. Okay. So yeah, it was a month after. So we both had our five years. Yeah. Just... And yet we still do it. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Oh, you do. Yeah. It's, it's cause they're always in our mind. Right. I know. I know. In some ways it, I mean, I, I was, I caught myself. I'm like, Oh my word. I can't believe I did that. But in other ways, I feel like it's kind of good. Maybe that mm-hmm. he's still so in my mind and yeah. in my heart yeah. That I can make that mistake. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he is still alive in me. Yeah. And still part of my everyday. Yeah. And just like. Right. And that's the same with Luella, right? She, yeah. She's still a part of your everyday. Right. Yeah. And just like parents with all living children, sometimes they have to go through all the names before they get it right. And even the dog's <laughs> name, too, right? And we're the same way. It's like. I know. My grandma used to be like that. There were three granddaughters and I was the last one. And so it would be Teresa. I mean, Chrissy. I mean, Marcy. <laughs> or occasionally I would go, it would just be Teresa. I mean, Marcy or Chrissy. I mean, Marcy, but almost never did she hit me right. Get it right. The first yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. And it just, yeah, it just goes to show how ever present they are, just like any living child. Like they're on our mind. We're thinking about them. We're praying about them. We're missing them. We're wondering what they're up to. Like on our mind. Yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about your grief journey? Because you, like you alluded to in the very beginning, you have retreats now, but you Mm -hmm. didn't start out by just having retreats. So how did kind of some of this happen with your grief journey? Yeah. So after Luella passed away, we felt, I think the biggest thing was isolated and that we didn't know anybody who something similar had happened to. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot, there weren't any people in like our close peer group that had lost a young child. We were like, this happens. Like, I didn't know this, this happens. So for us, it just felt, it just felt so isolating. And you have those, you know, games in your brain where it's like, okay, so what did I do in my past that I deserved something like this? Yeah. And you start thinking like, am I a horrible person? Like I thought only horrible things like this happen to bad people. So pretty early on, we were introduced to, it was like a friend of a friend and they had lost their son Cole a couple years prior. He was a little bit older than Luella and we were introduced to them. They had started their own nonprofit in honor of their son Cole. We met with them and it was like the first time where it just felt like, ah, somebody understands how we feel. Yeah. And they were so sweet and kind to you know, come meet us and just talk to us and hold space for us and, you know, share their story too and share where they were at two years out. They also shared with us a resource called Faith's Lodge, which they host retreats for grieving families up in Wisconsin. And they had been there and they, you know, said it was a great experience for them and recommended it. So Ben and I, Ben's my husband, Ben and I decided to sign up so Luella passed away in September and we signed up for the one in November of 2018. And it was the family one because we had Lachlan and he was a newborn and I couldn't have imagined leaving him at the time. And Oh, for sure. Yeah. He was breastfeeding around the clock. So we took him with us and, you know, it was just a really, like I said, it was just when you talk to other bereaved parents and you're with them, it's like the first time you're really feeling seen and held and like, somebody knows what you're feeling. And Mm. because it had felt so isolating, that was huge for us to feel like, no, there are other people who are going through this. And there are other people who are surviving this because that's a huge thought too, is it is so painful when it happens. You literally think you are not going to survive it. Yep. Like there's no way I'm going to live through this. Right. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't think there was any way I could. Right. The pain is just too great. There's no way. There's just no way I can do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you think other people maybe have, but I'm not going to be able to until you start to meet some of those other people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was, that was huge for us because it was, I mean, we were pretty fresh. We were pretty fresh. Of course, looking back now, I'm like, pow. Yeah. You know, two, three months out. That's, that's so early, but I'm glad we went that early specifically just for that, like yep. little sliver of hope. Like we're, we can make this, there are other people who have survived this. I know I, we went to our first support group three weeks after Andy died uh, mm-hmm. and there 
were a few of us. So it was a big group. And most of the people in the group, probably six to eight of the parents in the group had lost adult children. And there were four of us who lost our kids as kids. And, and one was only two days before Andy. So we were both super fresh. One was a baby that had been a few months before. And then there was my friend Stephanie. And she was 13 months ahead of us. And, I, mm-hmm. and it was amazing to me how when I was going through hard times, I would so often think, Stephanie did this last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can too. Yeah. Right. I would just just to have her just be that far enough ahead of me to know that she did it and she made made it through. And that meant maybe there might be a chance mm-hmm. that maybe I could make it through as well. So I do love that, you know, feeling like as you meet people, especially people who are a little bit ahead of you, it can mm-hmm. give you a little hope. Yeah. Yeah. Hope and uh, validation, too. Yeah. This hurts so much. Yeah. Just that validation. Oh, I love that. I love that you had Stephanie as like, kind of like your marker. Like she yeah. was going through this. Yeah, I can do it. There's a chance I can do it. And she's still my marker. Yeah. And she will be my marker forever. Yeah. And and what's kind of crazy too, is that I know now that I'm the marker to a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because there are people that are a year, two years behind me, and they look at me in the same way I still look at Stephanie. Yes. And think, okay, Marcy's doing this. That means maybe I can. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not absolute that I can, but maybe, yeah. maybe I can. Yes, I love that. I love that. If nothing else, sharing our story gives somebody that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you went to Faith's Lodge and you had that wonderful experience. I actually have several friends who have been there. Yeah. Um, one friend of mine goes every single year. They meet the same group of moms that go the same week every year. So um, I have lots of familiarity with that organization, yeah. although I've not talked to them. I probably should talk to them sometime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I have not met the, the Lasex. Is that who forgetting their first names? Anyway, that their daughter is Faith. Mm-hmm. I don't think like we didn't meet them while we were there or have any communication with them. I did get a chance to talk to their um, executive director a couple of years ago before we started Luella's Lodge just for some little pieces of inspiration and advice. But yeah, they'd be, they'd be great. I'd love to hear their story because they, I mean, it's been a while. I think Faith's Lodge has been around since 2007. No. So yeah, they would be just to hear kind of the the course of how everything went since I'm, I'm sure they were pretty involved setting it up and have taken a little bit of a step back now just to hear how that process was. That would be cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, especially since I feel like even when we lost our kids, there were very few resources. Yes. I mean, you talk about that, how you felt alone and isolated. Heck, so did I. And yeah. you know, that's how the podcast came to be is that Months in, I thought, oh, goodness, there's a podcast for everything. Maybe I can listen to a podcast because even reading a book seemed too complicated and I could find nothing. Now there are several, but at the time, really nothing. So, I mean, I think that's how things were in 2018. Mm -hmm. What must have been things things been like prior to 2007, even more so? Yeah. Yes, I agree. I, I love that you, this idea of the podcast, because I didn't, 
especially thinking about early on, early grief, where it's like, I don't want to read a book. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't necessarily want to share right now, but just to listen and feel like you're understood, even if you're not saying a word, even just to listen. Right, right. Because it was terrifying to go into that first support group. It really was. It was Mm -hmm. really scary. Mm -hmm. I remember the moment that I first called Starlight Ministry that I sat on the bed because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I was going to go on. I was quite convinced it was going to kill me. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted some sort of guidance. But dialing that phone and having to say, my son just died and I don't know what to do. It's a hard thing to do. And it's a hard thing to start therapy and to do all that stuff. But if you can give someone a soft landing, like maybe just listening to some people talk on a podcast, that's a little bit easier, right? Yes. Yeah. It's an easier way to feel not so alone to be that you're in the car and you're crying and you're nodding along with someone saying, yeah, you get it. Yeah. I guess maybe I'm not going crazy and I guess maybe I can make it through at least till tomorrow Mm -hmm. or next week. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you did all that and then you did you start thinking about doing something in central Illinois shortly after that or how long did that take? It was on the drive home from Faith Lodge that we started talking about it. We were just like, wow, we were like, how how is this not available all over the place? Yeah. Like, why did we I mean, even being in. Illinois, you'd think it'd be pretty close. I think it was like a 10 hour drive for us. We're like, even being that close to Faith's Lodge and that was still kind of a hassle to get there. Like, how are these not all over the, all over the place? This was an an amazing experience. So we started and, you know, that couple that we had met, Cole's parents, they were that inspiration too. Like they started something for Cole. Like, why couldn't we start something for Luella? And So it was on the drive home from Faith's Lodge when we started talking about it and thinking about it. And, you know, for us, we, we lived in a space, it's a, you know, a a genuine log cabin on 10 private acres. We've got a private lake, there's woods, there's, you know, hiking trails. Whenever people would come to visit us, it was like, this, this is the best sleep I've had in, you know, years. This feels like a retreat. And so we were like, maybe this is a space, like maybe this is, what becomes a safe haven for other parents at a retreat. So, you know, I'm trying to think of the timeline. We we started chatting about it and kind of got on the same page. It was also, we both felt ready to leave the space as our family home. I think right after Luella passed away, I was like, I just want to hightail it out of here and never come back. Like that was, I wanted like movement and I just wanted to be away from it because mm-hmm. I literally could picture her still running around and still sleeping in her room. Like I could picture it. And it was like, it was so painful right at the beginning. It's like, you just want a little bit of a reprieve from getting hit with that so much and so hard. We ended up just going and staying at my in-laws for a couple of weeks and then coming back. And so we were there, we lived there for another couple of years after she passed away. But we just, we did, we both felt like the timing was right to leave it as our family home, knowing that it was going to be used for something more and something bigger than us. And, and just to have her name attached to such a beautiful space felt like a really good, 
a really good move on our part. So we officially got our 501c3 in April of 2020. So it was like kind of right when COVID hit. Yeah. So we were still living there. We decided, you know, let's just do a online support group for bereaved moms for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. While we're getting everything going and before we can host anything in person. So we started doing that. And one of the moms that I felt like was kind of my Stephanie yeah. is named Caroline and um, she helped me lead that. And she's just, she was the perfect person for that. And she continues to help us lead our virtual support groups. But I remember she was always asking the right questions and sharing appropriately with her experience and mixed in with that. Like she has the best sense of humor. She's like the most down to earth and funny person, which you would think leading a very emotional support group would, would maybe not be the right fit, but she's perfect for it. Like Mm -hmm. she cracks a joke when it's needed. Like when things are feeling super heavy and the the moms just need to be pulled out of that for a minute. (laughs) She's good. Oh yeah. She's really good at that. Her timing's great. Anyway, she helped me lead that support group. So we did that. I want to say for a little bit over a year, and then we moved out of the lodge the home across the lake came up for sale. And so we literally are right next door to the lodge still. So we can bebop over there whenever we need to. Yeah, we started renovations too, because it's like one thing to to live in a space and think it's beautiful, but it's another to like invite people in as a retreat. So there were some things yeah, we needed to do. I'm sure. So that started, so that was February, 2021. We moved out and kind of my husband started those renovations We hosted our first retreat in October of 2021 and it was, it was perfect. It was low pressure. It was the moms that had been in that virtual support group Mm -hmm. that we'd had. And so it was just like, it was the perfect first group to have. Like I said, low pressure, everybody already knew each other. They were very understanding that that was our first retreat and it was so nice to hug them all in person and spend some time. Yeah. That's so funny because I can so relate to that. I do now virtual support groups through through Starlight Ministry where the in-person ones were Mm -hmm. for us just so we can have people from all over who don't have community resources like that. And they really, I didn't decide this, but they decided that we need to get together. Mm -hmm. And so we went on a retreat and we rented a place very similar to Luella's Lodge in at Hocking Hill State Park in Ohio. And it was amazing to see all of these people that I felt like I knew so well already mm. and to give them a hug yes, and to spend time together and to cry with them and laugh with them. Yes. And honestly, there were probably, there was probably more laughter than tears. Mm-hmm which people would find hard to believe, but it's a hundred percent true. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you just feel like you can be the authentic you. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I love that. We, um, I just interviewed with a local magazine and that was, they were like, what, you know, what's something you want people to know about your grief retreats? And I'm like, it's a misconception that it's just this bleak affair with just tears the whole time. I'm like, yes, there are definitely tears, but I think what would surprise people is how much laughter and a good time there is too. And it's because none of us, like you said, have felt like we could be authentic in the real world around normal people. You can't, you can't because you feel like people are judging you the whole time. 
Yes. And if you're too sad, they think, why aren't they over it yet? Why are they still like this? They're not doing well. They should be doing better. So you feel that. And if you laugh, then they're like, oh, great. Good. She's finally better. Better. Yeah. We don't have to worry about her anymore. I'm glad she's okay. So you live in this weird limbo that you feel like you can't show your highest highs or your lowest lows. You have to like pretend that you're somewhere in the middle. So people don't worry about you that you're doing too bad or totally not worry about you anymore, thinking that you're completely recovered and they don't have to think about you. Right. Yes, that's perfectly said. That's exactly it. And you get together with folks who know exactly that you can be laughing and having a great time in this moment. And an hour later, you will be on the bathroom floor in tears like that. Yeah. And, And everyone's fine with that. Yep. And everyone's totally comfortable if you are laughing and then you break down crying in three minutes. Yes. No one's going to judge you for it. No one's going to think it's weird. It is normal. Yeah. Yes. So it's, yeah, at these retreats, it's like you're letting your guard down and you hear from people that this is the hardest I've laughed. This is the best time I've had since my child's passed away. And I think that's, that's probably something very surprising for outsiders to hear about, you know, these grief retreats is that they're, Mm-hmm. They're a really good time for some people. They're a really good time and a really hard time too, but. But a very healing time too. Yeah. Right? To be able um, to be your authentic self. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a gift. It is. Yeah. So, how often do you have retreats now? And you have several different kinds now, I know. We do. Yeah. So, we we had that first in October of 2021, 20, and then we had a dad's. November following. And then April of 2022 is kind of when we kicked off like our full retreat season. And so we're offering them about once a month and our retreat season is April through November. We take right now we're taking a break just through the winter months because that's not so nice in Illinois during the winter months. And we really want folks when they come to be able to get outside and be in nature, because I think that was a very healing thing for us early on was just being able to be outside So we take a break through the winter. So we have our mom's retreats. We have dads. We did our first full family retreat last year. Also a mom's retreat with their support sister, which was a big hit. So we added a couple of those to this year's calendar. I think it was amazing because it was a chance to one, experience it with somebody else. So we had a lot of returnees come. So moms that had attended a retreat with us came back and brought their bestie or their mom or their aunt or their literal sister. And it was just a chance for them to experience the retreat with them as well. But um, we're also thinking we want to get those folks that maybe want to come to a retreat, but it's too intimidating to come alone. And maybe they don't have a partner or spouse that wants to attend a couple's retreat with them. So right, because you have couples too, right? Mm -hmm. We do have couples. Yes. Yeah. So like I said, about every month, we're trying to add in some day activities too, just to get some of our local parents coming out to some of the stuff. I think signing up for a weekend long retreat when you live down the road might seem weird. (laughs) So we're trying to add in some of that. We get a lot of out of town and out of staters at our retreats, which is interesting and not something we anticipated. So we're trying to figure out how to get some more local folks coming out too. So trying to add in some day events. Like last year, we did a self-care Saturday and a holiday ornament painting event. So some smaller events too, aside from retreats to get some folks out. And you're hoping to expand too, right? Yeah. So 
Right now, you know, we had originally thought we weren't even going to start retreats until we were able to raise enough to build an addition. And we were like, well, let's just go for it. Like, you know, we have five bedrooms. It's spacious. Let's just start small. And we actually really like the purposefully intimate setting of having Mm -hmm. 10 people max at a retreat at one time. And that's usually including the host. We really are enjoying that really intimate, small group setting. So we're, you know, not in a rush to build the suite so we can have more folks. I think we would really like to do, to be able to offer the full family retreats, which right now we're not really able to yeah, because of the space. Because like I said, for us, when we went to Faith Sludge, we wouldn't have been able to go unless we could bring our son Lachlan. Right. And so we want to be, we want to be accessible for those families too, that are like, I one, I want my child to have some counseling programming chances to connect with other grieving siblings. Yeah. And two, I just don't want to leave them. Like, I don't want to leave them for a weekend to come do something. I mean, it's very hard to do, right? Even if you have grandparents or aunts and uncles or somebody that you could really leave them with and have no problem. I know personally, I was shocked The biggest shock in my grief was the amount of fear that I had. Mm -hmm. And there's this great C.S. Lewis quote that actually says, I never knew that grief felt so like fear. Mm -hmm. And I think when you are a grieving parent who has other children, the fear for this could happen again or something could happen again is so high. And again, we talked about earlier about how You have this guilt. You have guilt because you don't want to admit that you didn't have control. And so you want to feel like you have control and you feel like you have more control if you're with them. Right. So taking them with on a weekend seems much, much safer than leaving them with your sister. Right. Even though it's not really the case, but it feels that way and just too difficult and challenging, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So we would love to be in a position. It's just like, you know, half a million dollars is all we have to raise to get our addition built. Like no big deal. we've got the plans, we've got everything for it. We just, we're just missing that big piece. That's all. So if any listener has an extra half <laughs> right. a million dollars, just lying around that they want to give to the Luella's Lodge, yeah. I'm sure they would be happy to take it. (laughs) We would love to take it. Yeah, that would be so we're our family retreat this year is just going to be a day retreat. Mm -hmm. And so parents can bring their kiddos, we'll have separate programming, we'll have a chance for parents to come together with their kids and do some different programs as well. But just no overnights yet. We'll get there. You will. Yeah, you will. You know, one of my favorite things thinking about you having that lodge right in your former family home is the fact that when you talked about Luella loving to walk around and walk on the trails and do all that stuff, I was thinking in my mind, wow. And that's where people are doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. They're walking those same trails, looking at the same cows or whatever, if they want to, that Luella did. And wow, that's special. It is. It's really special. It's really special. And it's, you know, something that sometimes my husband and I have to take a step back because it's, it's an interesting thing where like, this is a business. Yeah. And so we have to have business hats on a lot when we're dealing with some of the stuff, but also thinking of taking the time when we are over there cleaning before retreat or setting up or doing whatever to like, have a chance to really connect with Luella, like that deep meaning 
that amazing inspiration, but remembering to slow down sometimes too, like, and take the emotional weight of that in because it's big. Yeah. I mean, you commented before we started recording that I was doing this in Andy's room Mm. and that does make it more special. Yeah. Right. It makes it more special that this was his space. It makes it more special that that was her space too. Yeah. I love that. So are there any other kind of parting things that you wanted to say, bits of advice that you might want to give parents who are listening? Oh, goodness. I mean, kind of what we talked about, just finding what, nothing's going to feel good, right? Yeah. Finding what feels supportive or what feels the least worst. Yeah. (laughs) Is um and maybe it's it's reading books, maybe it's support groups, maybe it's listening to podcasts, maybe it's finding a retreat. But I feel like we we can't do this alone. Don't expect to be able to do this alone. You have to find you have to find support or hearing others' stories. Right. Some we can't do this alone. Nobody expects you to do it alone. Yeah, and that is really my kind of thought for the year. It's funny that I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast that my therapist had mentioned to me, what do you want for Always Andy's Mom this year? And I said, really to try to bring a community together mm-hmm. and to try to bring people together in community. And it's been amazing since I had that conversation with her, the number of times that has come up. Wow. People emailing me or conversations that I have with people, interviews that I have with people where that ends up being the main conversation. And that's what yours is. That's what your goal is, is to help create community and -hmm. help create a community of grievers who can help support each other. And that's what Luella's Lodge is doing. And Mm -hmm. I, I just know that it will just continue to connect more and more people and foster some pretty great supportive relationships so more people can have Stephanie's right like me yes that's the goal I you know that's the goal for those retreats is to walk away hopefully with somebody's number and somebody that you really connected with that you're gonna continue chatting with after the retreat maybe find some you know, healing modality that you hadn't tried before that really lands well at the retreat and you decide to carry it on with you and, you know, finding more opportunities to connect with your child and feel close to them still. So why don't you give people your website and just how they can contact you and find out more? Because it sounds like you're still doing the virtual group too. Our virtual is for our retreat alumni. So if you attend a retreat, you get these virtual support groups following. So right. So to yeah. kind of foster the community, yes. right, that you started. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, make it a very easy way to stay connected with some of those people that you met at a retreat and then also offer opportunities to meet some parents that you that weren't at the same retreat as you, but mm-hmm. that we think you might connect with. Yeah, so we've got our website is luellaslodge.org. We've got an Instagram page, Luella's Lodge, and Facebook is Luella's Lodge as well. And then if you would like to email me, I'm Carrie at luellaslodge.org. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for sharing Luella with us. And thank you for helping to just foster and make the community of grieving just a little bit easier for people. Thank you, too.
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can type Andy's mom, one word, to the number 53555. This provides a link to GiveButter, which allows donations through PayPal, Venmo, Apple Pay, or credit cards. GiveButter will provide a receipt of your tax-deductible donation. Or you can visit the donation page at andysmom.com donate. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 and can receive donations through Thriving Financial and Benevity. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com or on the Instagram or Facebook Always Andy's Mom accounts. Sign up for the email list to get weekly episode links as well as pictures of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.